So we are continuing our journey through James. And I'm going to preach one verse to you this morning, and hopefully in about half an hour. And then we're going to trust God for some ministry, and then He's going to encourage us, as He always does, by the power of the Spirit. Isn't that right? And this series is called Dazzling Christianity, and I trust um, that uh, you are being encouraged. Uh, This is part 14, and we're going to read together one verse out of James, James chapter 1, verse 25. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And it simply says this, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word always brings freedom. Your word always brings liberty. Your word always points us to Jesus. And I I just echo what talks already brought, Lord, that your word would take root in us and produce fruit in us and produce freedom in us this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Well, last, uh, last week I had a look at um, another verse which um, precedes that, one that we've just read, and it just said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at himself in a mirror, but he goes away and he forgets what he looks like. Do you remember? And I call that arrested development. And uh, this week we're going to look at James and how he really completes that thought that he began in those first two words and uh, those first two verses. And remember, I said to you that the scripture points out in that verse it says, if we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go away and forget what we look like, we're actually deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. And so there's kind of, James is, is really pointing us to a deep truth there that we, God doesn't want us to be those that are living in a deceived way. Just being hearers of the word, hearing God, being spiritual consumers, hearing him speak to us, enjoying worship, enjoying prayer, but not activating on that, not acting on that and putting something into action in our lives. And the great danger is that as Christians we can remain in that position of always being hearers. And I believe much of the church is, is full of spiritual consumers. They just want to consume. They just want to hear what God has, the latest thing, the latest teaching. But essentially, it's spiritual consumption. It's, and the Christian life is never just about spiritual consumption. Of course, we have to hear the Word of God. Absolutely. We must hear the Word of God. We must hear the voice of the Spirit. We must pray. And our relationship with Him is primary. But out of our relationship with Him, I believe the Bible says something happens out of our relationship with Jesus. And here, James is saying, he's saying, this is the mirror I want you to look into. Not the mirror of introversion. Remember, I said there was the mirror of introversion. He's saying, I actually don't want you to look into that. I want you to look in another mirror, and it's called the perfect mirror of the law of freedom. Now, if you've grown up under legalism in any way, that should make you rejoice with all of your heart. Amen. This is the gospel, that we are free. And he is saying, James is saying, that we look into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of freedom. Who is the perfect law of liberty? Who is the perfect law of freedom? Jesus. He is the perfect law of liberty. He is the perfect law of freedom. And I actually quite enjoy the NIV 
translation at this point because it says the perfect law that brings freedom. The perfect law that brings freedom. And James is wanting us to be men and women, Christian believers, that apply the word of God. That's what he's driving at. That's the tone of this little portion of these verses. He's assuming that we've heard the engrafted word. Remember, a couple of weeks ago we looked at that. We've heard the engrafted word. It's come into our hearts. It's taken root. God has done the big thing. What is the big thing that God has done? He has initiated salvation. He's reached into our lives. He said, John, I choose you. He said, uh, I always do this and I forget people's names. <laughs> Richard, I choose you. He initiates salvation. He predestines us to walk according to his will, according to his plan. He says, I choose you. He does the big thing. We can never initiate our own salvation. He does the big thing. The little thing that we do is we apply his word to our lives. And we do the small thing of putting off the old man and dignifying the new man, the new creation that God has made us to be, the new person. Remember I said to you, the old Antony is dead. There's a new Antony that's alive. And he's the one that God always intended I should be. Yes? It's the same for you. Now that you're born again, if you know Christ, the old is gone and the new is come. And my encouragement to you this morning is this encouragement of James. Continually look into the perfect one. Continue to live your life looking into what Jesus says about you, not what anyone else says about you, and not about what your old man says about you. Yes, amen, it's good news. So we apply the word. We do the little thing of applying the words. I tried to encourage you last week, and this is just a recap before I just make three very simple points this morning. I tried to encourage you last week that Jesus, although he was perfect, although he did not know sin, and he was perfect in every way, he did suffer. And the gospel calls you and I to live a life of not sinning, but not giving in to the burden and the hard taskmaster of sinless perfection. God's not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you to be clean. And you are clean because Jesus is in you. God is perfect. He's not a perfectionist. One day you will be perfect in every way. Not now. Okay? Don't have that burden on your back. Don't replace the burden of legalism with the burden of perfectionism. Think you have to be perfect in every way because you don't. You are already clean. God is transforming you. Relax. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your relationship with Him and walk by the Spirit. This is good news. This should free us. This should free us completely, all right? And I said that the reason why Jesus had to go through suffering was because he is bringing many sons to glory, many daughters to glory. And he wanted to make, he wanted to fulfill the, the, the prophecy that said he would, he, he, he would be the one that would uh, identify with every single suffering that we have, every single thing that we go through, every temptation, everything that you and I have to endure in this life, but be without sin. To fulfill that, he had to suffer so that he could say, I have done all things and it is finished. That is glorious. That is so freeing. So, you and I, as Christian believers, we face this temptation daily. We face this challenge daily brought to us by the devil, and he tries to dupe you and I into thinking that we don't really need to become doers of the word. He tries to get us to relax and just to say, all that is the fullness that God has for me is simply to be a hearer of his word, simply to be a hearer of his word, to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence, and not to become a doer. I want to say to you, I don't believe that is the best that God has for us. 
I believe the sad truth is, as we continually hear the Word of God and don't become joyful in our obedience, we don't become joyful obeyers of the Word, we actually become immune to the preaching of the Word. We become immune. There becomes a point where we no longer feel conviction when the Word is preached. I said last week, you could call that arrested development. In other words, you could, you could call it is spiritual deafness. If you do not obey what God is telling you to do, it's amazing that you, some, you somehow stop hearing Him. Stop hearing Him. And it's a fascination to me as a, as a, as a church leader that as soon as people stop to hear the voice of God because they're no longer obeying the voice of God, they start to make excuses for themselves and they start to make ex- excuses and blame other people. And it's easy to blame other people, isn't it? It's easy to blame the church. I think the church takes a lot of, lot of rubbish from people, quite frankly. There's this nebulous thing called the church. And whenever people are dissatisfied, they, they blame the church. <laughs> the church should be doing this. Why isn't the church being doing, doing more of that? Ever heard that kind of language? Well, actually, you and I are the church. We are the called out ones. Surely it's us. <laughs> Surely it's me and you. It's not this thing called the church. You know, it's always the others, isn't it? No, it's us. And I want to encourage you this morning that to be a doer of the word is a good thing. That we don't make excuses for ourselves, that we actually just obey the word of God, let his sword go through our own hearts, and let God speak to us. So James is encouraging us, and this, they are, this is my first point, a different mirror for you and me. A different mirror. This is the mirror that, that James is encouraging us to look into He's saying, stop looking into the mirror of introversion. Look into the mirror of Jesus, the perfect law of freedom. All right? And I've said to you this before, but James is such a fascinating book for me because it could be Paul speaking at this point. Paul says the same thing. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8 verse 1, one of the most glorious verses in the Bible. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Full stop for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the same thing. James is saying exactly the same thing. Look into the perfect law of freedom. There's liberty. Look into the law of liberty and freedom. He says the same thing, uh, Paul, again, in Romans chapter 2, verse 8. and It says, the law of, spirit, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. There's a new liberty for you in Christ. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9.21. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but being under the law of Christ. Under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. He says in Galatians 6 verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. They're all saying the same thing. This verse we read in James and those three verses out of Romans and Galatians and Corinthians. I want to say to you the word law is not irrelevant. Sometimes we can have aversion to the word law. We think that is a bad word. No, no, just define which law you're talking about, all right? Let's define which law we're talking about. We're talking about the law of Christ. We're talking about the law of liberty. We're talking about the, the law that brings freedom, the perfect law. We're not talking about the Mosaic law. We're talking about the perfect law of Jesus. It brings freedom to us all the time. And we, we, we're encouraged to, to meditate on the law of Christ. We're encouraged to meditate on the person of Jesus and be continually looking at him. And every time the word is used in the New Testament, the word law is used regarding the new covenant, it always talks about, it's got two connotations. What we are set free from, 
We're set free from the old. And it talks about what we are set free to do. It's always two things. Set free from one, but set free to another. That's how liberty, that's Christian freedom. That's how it's preached in the New Testament. That's the true, true, true nature of Christian freedom. We have been set free from something in order that we can be set free to become something. A new creation. And the Bible calls this the perfect law of liberty. James calls it the perfect law of liberty, the law that brings freedom. And he uses that word purposefully because essentially that's what happens when you are born again, when you are regenerated from the inside out. God sets you free from your sin because of the blood of Jesus. And at the same time, he sets you free to explore and enjoy unlimited new possibilities for yourself and for other people and for the church under the hand of God. Oh, it's glorious. He sets you free from the one that keeps you in bondage and death, and he sets you free into another that produces liberty and freedom in your life, and that you can enjoy yourself in a whole new way that was never possible before. That is good news. And I want to put it to you this morning that if you and I continue to look into the mirror of introspection, if we continually are glancing back, glancing back to the mirror of introspection, we are bringing ourselves under a kind of law which is called the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. It's a bondage. The spirit of fear fear in your life is a bondage in your life. God wants to set you free completely from the spirit of fear. What does Paul say to us in Timothy? He says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. God doesn't want you to live in a fearful, introverted place. That's the old. The new is perfect freedom in Jesus, a spirit of power, spirit of love, spirit of liberty, all these things in Christ Jesus. That's the new. That's what we want to dignify as, as Christians, is the new, not the old. Not introversion, gaze on Jesus. So I want to say to you that you're our enemy, the devil, prowls around every day trying to get your attention off of Christ and onto yourself. Every day. You face this temptation every day as a believer. And I, I want to say to you that if you want to gaze into the mirror of introversion, the devil will point out every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, every pimple on your face and make you aware of it every single day. And he will convince you. He will say that you need a whole lot more ministry and attention before you can do anything for Jesus. He'll convince you of that. I want to say to you that's one of the great pitfalls of the Christian life that paralyzes us, that we feel that we can never do anything until we are perfect. I want to set you free from that this morning. I believe the Bible sets us free from that. At this point, I want to say something else to you, that I believe that there's a difference between introspection and there's a difference between that and godly self-examination. Looking at yourself in the light of Jesus is very different from just looking at yourself. The one is introspective, it's, it's egocentric, it just breeds complacency, it, brings, it, it leaves you unchanged, it leaves you useless, it leaves you immobile. The other is Christ-centered. It breeds hope in your life. It breeds motivation in your life. James says, get away from that and start looking to this. I wish I had two big mirrors here. Start looking 
at Jesus, the mirror of Jesus. And that's what Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all, every single one of us, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. James says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your gaze on the perfect law of Christ that brings freedom to you. Fix your gaze. You know, that's an active thing for me. It's an active thing. The Greek word is parakupsas, which means to fix your gaze. It means you gaze intently. When I look at my wife... You know, when she looks at me sometimes with that look, I know what's coming. When I look at her with that look, sometimes she knows what's coming. It's like, I just want to hold you. I want to kiss you. I want to make love to you. This is a good thing. You know that gaze. It's a, it's a gaze. It's intent. It's got intent. It's not passive. I'm encouraging you now that we are called to look like that on Jesus. With intention in our heart. With action in our heart. Not passively. Fix your gaze intensely look full into his wonderful face. That's what we sing, isn't it? We grew up with that. And the, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. The things of who I was will grow strangely dim as I gaze intently into the beauty and the wonder and the glory of him. And take my eyes off myself. And what does um, the word say to us? It says that when we are saved and God saves others, through the power of His Word, and by the power of the Spirit, the following will happen. John fourteen twelve. Truly I say to you, what, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these that, that he will do, because I am going to the Father. That's the promise. That God, as we gaze on Jesus, we, we will do great things for Him. It's His promise to us. I want to encourage you this morning. Gaze, fix your gaze on Jesus. Gaze intently into his face, intently into the beautiful law of Jesus that brings freedom. You know, when you look at him, this is what he says to you. He says, you're okay. He says, you are pleasing to him. He says, your, his smile is always upon you. He says, when we, when we look into him, he says, you're doing fine. There's nothing more I need from you other than you look into my face. You don't have to do anything more to please me. I love you perfectly. I've, I've always loved you perfectly anyway. Even when you were dead in your sin, I loved you perfectly, and I love you the same way now. Just gaze upon him. You know what the devil says? You're not quite ready. you never be quite ready. Go away. Get yourself right. Spend more time reflecting about the things in your life that need to change. Go away. Don't get intimate with him. Just look at yourself. When you gaze upon Jesus you know instantly that you're accepted and that you're wanted by him and that is freedom. That is freedom. So I want to just mention the Mosaic law because it's the other law that people sometimes reflect on. When you gaze intently into the Mosaic law, this is what you will see. You will see justice. You will see condemnation. You will see wrath. You will see every blemish and imperfection. You will see every sin. You will see every shortcoming the old covenant, the Mosaic law, is merciless. It is merciless. It's an instrument of despair. 
I'm using strong language. I'm aware of that. Why am I using the strong language? Because Paul uses exactly the same language in Romans 7, 24. He points out all of what the law is and he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's despairing. There's nothing good about it. He knows what it produces. All it does, it produces, well, now I'm loud again, okay? All it produces in you is an absolute realization that you need a savior. That's what it does. And he, in fact, he completes it. He doesn't finish there. Because in Romans 7.25, he cries out and he says, Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. He gives you the answer. Who will deliver me from this body of death that just points out who I'm not? Jesus delivers me. And he points out who I am. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> That's the gospel. James calls us to the mirror of the perfect law of freedom. I want to say to you this morning, if you feel inadequate, you might feel you're underqualified, you might feel you're not ready to be a doer of the word. I want to encourage you, as James is trying to encourage you, and I'm laboring the point under, look into the perfect law of Jesus. Look into his face. He will say to you, you're okay. He will say, you, you are his child. He will say, he has redeemed you. He has called you that you do not need to fear. That's what you will hear from him. And I want to point it to you that James also says that's not something you do once at your conversion. He says we need to live like this for the rest of our lives. Why does he say that? Because he says as we gaze contently, he uses this word persevere. He says the one who perseveres in doing that will be blessed in his doing. And so it's not something that we outgrow as Christians. We never outgrow our need of Jesus. We never outgrow our need of looking to Him. We never outgrow our need of His Spirit in our lives. We never do. It is the source of our strength. As, soon as we look to Jesus, we are strong. As soon as we look to ourselves, we are, we are weak. Always. There's only that, those two options. There's not a third way. <laughs> you look to Jesus and He makes you strong. You look to yourself, you just see your weakness. He wants us to be those that look to him. That's our strength. You never say goodbye to it. We need to become those that embody this in our lives by gazing into Christ. So I want to ask you this morning not to ever again tolerate this thought in your life, that you are not acceptable to God. I want to, I want to ask you to, to put it to death this morning in your heart and in your mind. That's an introspective question. Am I acceptable to God? Isn't by definition, it's introspective. It's looking inside. I want to say to you, God always says, because of Jesus, you are okay. You are fine. You are accepted by Him. And I have to say, over many years of leading in the church, those that battle most with finding freedom, those that battle most with saying, am I really a Christian or am I not a Christian, those that battle most with settling this issue of the assurance of salvation are those that continually to look inside of themselves. Instead of looking to Christ. Because when you look to Christ, when you look to Jesus, all you will hear from Him is, I love you, you are perfect, I see Christ upon you, you are my son, you are my daughter, do not fear. That's what you'll get from Jesus every time you look to Him. <laughs> I've played this before, but I'm not going to do it this morning. But remember that Bob Newhart, little, that little thing? 
where this woman comes into the psychiatrist's uh, office and she's got this phobia about being buried alive in a box. And uh, he, his advice to her is, just stop it. Have you seen that on, on uh, YouTube? You must go and watch it. It's a profound lesson. Because that's what James is saying to you and I this morning. Just stop it. Don't look there anymore. Stop. Look here. This is who you are, not that. Okay. So assurance. Assurance of salvation doesn't come from listening more. It doesn't come from being prayed for more. It doesn't come from being ministered to again and again and again. Part of us becoming doers of the word is believing what the word says. That's a doer. Believes what the word says. You are loved with an everlasting love. God says to you this morning and to me, believe that with all of your heart. You're, you are acceptable to him. And so James is warning us. He's saying, don't be Christians that are forgetful hearers, right? And that must be a possibility because that's why James is mentioning it. He's saying, don't become one who forgets. Don't, uh, don't go back to looking in that mirror. Don't forget. Just realize that you are forgiven. You're born again. You're set free and start living your life, enjoying your life and walking by the Spirit. Don't look at that anymore. Just enjoy who you are, the new creation that you are in Christ. And I want to say to you that God says, that is enough. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what my friends and family and relatives say. I really don't, because God says, that is enough about me. The devil will always point out my failure. Perhaps my friends will point out my failure, how I've let them down. You know what? God says, what I I have to say about you is enough. It is enough. And I want to say it over your life as well. It is enough. Why do I say that? Because Paul writes in Romans 8.33, he says this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is God the one who justifies? Well, who then is to condemn? If God justifies you, who can condemn you? And he defines it further. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who has died. More than that, he's risen. And now he's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God says, it's enough. God says, I've sent my son. He's died. He's paid the price. You are in him. It's enough for you. He's praying for you at the right hand of the Father. Right now, what more do you need? You don't need anything more. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. What anyone says about you, you don't need anything more than that. That's enough. That's enough. And I'm closing now. It's a great lie of the devil. Great lie of the devil. He's trying to get God's children to buy into this thing. That you cannot be a doer of the word until you are perfect. That you're continually in a state of not being quite ready. One day you will be, but not yet. The problem is if you believe that, if you buy into that, years and years and years go by and you find yourself in the same situation as you were 10 years ago. Still wondering, am I good enough? Still wondering, can God use me? No, stop looking into that. Look into this. The perfect law of freedom. And you know what, what is amazing to me about Paul? Paul didn't live like an introverted person. Here is a man who's been persecuting and killing the church, who, who realizes that he comes to this dramatic conversion. You know the story, a great light comes and it's a revelation of Christ and he goes blind and he's got these things on his eyes and he goes to the straight street and he's prayed for and he's, he's healed from the stuff. And it says in Acts 19 verse 19, It says, immediately after this dramatic conversion, this all happened to him. It says, he he took some food and was strengthened. 
For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus. That is incredible. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. He didn't wait for the other apostles to say, Oh, Paul, we recognize that God has moved in your life, and well done, and now you need to train for another seven years before you can start proclaiming Jesus. He probably had a whole lot of stuff wrong, and yet he proclaims, he just gets up and says in the synagogues, Jesus is the Christ. He has done this for me. Isn't that a challenge to you and I? He wasn't worrying about the approval of other people. He was just simply responding to what God had done, and he responded straight away. He was joyfully obedient to the gospel that had set him free. And that's why 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, All the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. It's not talking, it's not talking now about financial prosperity. I've heard that preached so many times. All the promises of God are yes and amen, and if you give your thousand dollars, you'll get a Mercedes Benz back at the end of this meeting. He's not talking about financial prosperity. He's talking about what God has to say about you. All the promises of God about who you are are yes and amen in Him, in Jesus. Every good thing that He has for you is yes and amen in Jesus. I got that off my chest. So, conclusion, can I ask you to become a doer? To become a doer. And there's a subtle shift of words in verse 25. Because if you look at the English, it it doesn't look very different. But the Greek is quite different in verse 25. And James has been talking about being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. And now he subtly changes his language. He says this, he talks about a doer who acts. A doer who acts. A doer of work. A doer of work. It's intentionally said. I said to you last week, James doesn't waste any words. In Greek, the words are quite different. Up to now, the word logos has been used. And you know that the word logos means words. Word, right? Logos, God's word to us. Rhema is God's divine revelation to us that happens sometimes uh, in a moment of revelation. But now he's using the word ergon here. Work. Ergon. Remember English uh, in, uh, in English, ergonomics. Get the word ergonomics. It's got to do with work. Ergonomics is the study of how efficient people are in their working environment. And so James is using this word on purpose. He's saying that as we look into the perfect law of freedom, as we look into those, uh, the, the perfect uh, face of Jesus, we become a doer of work. Ah. People don't respond well to work, isn't it? This is not just a verbal agreement of saying, oh yes, we need, we need to understand that intellectually. No, ergon has to do with your body. It has to do with your hands. It has to do with a very practical thing. And so he's saying to us that as we gaze upon the face of Jesus, as we gaze into the perfect law that brings liberty, we become the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus on the earth. We begin to do the work of the kingdom. There's ergon. There's work for you and I to do. Hands and feet kind of work for you and I to do. Someone said to me last night, that's an incredible amount of workforce for people to do for one night. And I said to them, it's absolutely worth it. You know why? Because the gospel is being proclaimed. It's hard work. Whoever said that the kingdom was not about work, 
It's deceived you. The kingdom is about work. It's not about working for your salvation. It's about working for Him, who is the perfect law that brings freedom. And as we work for Him, we help others to come into the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy. Very practical. The Word became flesh, engrafted Word into our lives. And so James is saying those that are doers of the Word become doers of work. And he doesn't define it there, but in verse 27, if you look on a little bit in your chapter, he says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He defines it. He says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. He defines it. He says that's what you should be doing, giving yourself away for others. This is the religion that is pure, living for other people, helping others that are less fortunate than yourself. That doesn't save you. We're not into that. No, your salvation is assured. But absolutely, as you joyfully obey your king, as you joyfully gaze into the face of him who saved you, the natural result is that you start working for him. You lay your life down for other people. And I believe even when James says that, he's not saying it in a restrictive way. He's not saying it in a legalistic way. He's not saying it in a mechanical way. I believe the heart of what he's saying in verse 27 is this. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off your sense of personal piety. Take your eyes off your own concerns, your own needs, following your own personal liberties and freedoms. Take your eyes off that and get your eyes onto the call of God in Christ, which is the call of freedom. And the call of freedom, the call of Christian liberty for you and I is that you start living for other people, not for yourself. That's the call of freedom. Christ has set you free from death in order that you might live in Him. And as you start living in Him, there's some stuff that automatically your hands and your feet and your heart want to do because you're serving the great King. You're giving yourself away for Him. Galatians 5.13, Paul says it. Use your freedom to serve others. Tim Keller says it this way. Perhaps the lack of joy in your life is due to your lack of mission. (laughs) The most unhappy people are the ones that are most concerned for themselves. In conclusion, you know, applying this doesn't come naturally to us. We are not those that naturally respond well when the word work is used. (laughs) We don't respond well to the word work. We somehow think it's bad. I want to encourage you. I want to push you towards the podcast. Go and have a listen to Greg Haslam's outstanding teaching on a theology of work. If you say, thank God it's Friday, every time Friday happens, and if you say, God deliver me from Monday, I want to suggest to you, you don't have a good theology of work. Go and have a listen to what God says about work, the dignity that comes from work, how we serve Him in the workplace. It's, it's profound. All right? But James does use the word work here on purpose, okay? And what I just want to say to you, that doing the work of the kingdom, it's something that we do even when we don't feel like it. And that's why he uses the word work, because basically work is work because you have to do it, isn't it right? You have to do it. It's not simply a case of enjoying the Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit. We do walk by the Spirit, and we do need to enjoy the Holy Spirit. But the thing that makes work work is that you have to do something, all right? So I want to suggest to you, if you get up tomorrow morning, and you say, Lord, are you leading me to go to work this morning? I need to feel led before I get on the, t- the tube again. Please, please lead me 
to go to work this morning, I want to say you're in trouble big time with your boss because he's not going to tolerate that, isn't he? So my point is simple. You might not feel like going to work, but you know it's something you have to do. That's the same for God's work. It is the same. We are called to joyful obedience. And uh, there's some things that you don't have to pray about in the kingdom. You do them out of joyful obedience because your heart and your life is submitted to Christ. Joyfully obey them. And uh, so here are some things that you joyfully obey God in. You love your family. I've been married 19 years. It's been the most wonderful time. But you know, often I don't feel like loving Helen. Not often. But you know what I'm saying, any of you that are married? She probably doesn't feel like loving me. Sometimes our kids drive us up the wall. Don't feel like loving them. Feel like giving them a good smack. Although you can't do that apparently in Wales anymore now. Can you? Uh, and I don't mean that in a funny way either. I just mean, you know what I mean, as a parent. Sometimes you'd rather give a paddle. You don't feel like loving. Uh, you don't feel like visiting the sick. You don't feel like sometimes loving God's church. God's church is so unusual, isn't it? It's unusual, God's church, full of funny people, hard to love people. Often you don't feel like loving the church of God. We are called to love the church of God, primarily. Converted to Christ, converted to His church, converted to His call on our lives. Absolutely. So perhaps you don't feel like giving your money to the needy or giving your money to the church. Well, God has called us to joyfully obey and do these things. Even when we don't feel like it, it's joyful obedience. This is the ergon. This is the work of the doer of the word. And certainly when we are tired and frustrated and under pressure, God certainly says, ask of me, pray, and I'll, and I'll help you. I'll give you strength. I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm not saying we don't walk by the Spirit even as we're doing these things. But these things we do because we're joyfully obeying our King. That's, that's all. That's why we do them. And so there's some work for you and I to do. Kingdom work with our hands, with these bodies, with this mouth, with the talents that I have, with the means that I have. And James says this in chapter 4, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so we best just repent when we know. We mean, I, I, was, I met with a guy the other day who said that he was still looking for a church. I've, I think I've said this to you before. He'd been looking for years and couldn't find a church that was perfect enough for him to join. So he just hasn't been part of a church. So I said to him, but that is sin. You can call it whatever you like. You can say God has called you to walk this path or whatever. It is simply sin. Repent and join a church. That's it. Love God's bride. You cannot love Jesus without loving his people. And I don't, can't, I don't care how fancy people's words are and how convincing them that they sound. It's not biblical Christianity. It's not New Testament Christianity. If you know friends like that, the best thing you can do for them is saying, My friend... I love you with all my heart, but you need to repent because you are sinning. <laughs> love God's people. Love God's church. Get on with it and enjoy your life as you walk by the Spirit. But love God's people and love God's church. And I love how James ends, and I really am ending now, right? Because he adds a little thing at the end that he doesn't have to say. And I love the kindness of God. God is always saying things over us that he doesn't have to say, but just because he wants to say you know what he says over James? James says to us, he says, you will be blessed in doing this. God didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say that to you and I. But his kindness to us, his grace to us, he says, actually, if you live like that, you know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give something to you. 
And there's this truth that we live in. When, when I'm sure Becky, when she's nursing young children, she, 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 she knows that she's blessing them and she knows that she's helping someone. And when you, when you alleviate someone's pain or, or, or you help someone in some way, you know that you are blessing that person and they feel blessed. But what James is saying is there's a whole nother degree, echelon, of blessing that God wants you to enjoy. And he, and he says, as you, as you do this, the deepest joy, the deepest satisfaction in your life, the deepest fulfillment is found by not living for yourself. When you start living for others and giving yourself away, there's a deep, deep satisfaction and contentment that comes that is unexplainable. How many of you felt, felt that feeling in your life before? When you just know God has called you to do something and you do something, you get this incredible sense of peace and joy and satisfaction knowing that God is smiling on you as you do it. Anyone can identify with that. It's beautiful. It's the deepest, best kind of blessing. Helen and I had a coffee with our teeth last time he was here and um, his wife. And uh, it's always a privilege. But he, he, he said this to me. You know, he's got that wonderful Kentucky draw. He said, and... You want to grab God's attention? Of course I'm going to say, absolutely. Of course I want to grab God's attention. And this is what he said. He said, go after those that everybody else has forgotten about. You want to grab God's attention? Go after those who everybody else has dismissed and forgotten about and said, we don't care. Go after those ones. And God will pour out his blessing on your life. So guys, let's become a church that the world sees not just being ministered to and being encouraged Sunday upon Sunday, but the world will, a church that the world sees is the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. Amen? Doing the work of the king, doing the ergon of the king. Is that, are we always going to feel like it? No. But he's calling us to be a church that does his work. Not to prove anything to him, but to joyfully obey him. And I've convinced that we don't need to pray about that. We, we just, it just needs to be done as we fix our gaze intently on the perfect law that brings freedom. The perfect law that is Jesus. Amen?